Hello and welcome to Crosstalk, where all things are considered. I'm Peter Lavelle. With its infrastructure being degraded and the weather turning into winter, Ukraine faces the stark prospect of becoming a failed state. No amount of Western arms can change that harsh reality. Washington and Kiev have demonstrated they have no real interest in negotiations. Ukraine's fate has been sealed. Cross-talking the conflict in Ukraine, I'm joined by my guest, Phil Giraldi in Percival. He's a former CIA counterterrorism specialist. In Bangkok, we have Brian Berletic. He is a geopolitical analyst and a former U.S. Marine. And in Dublin, we cross the Shea Bose. He is an independent commentator and writer. All right, gentlemen, cross-talk rules in effect. That means you can jump in anytime you want, and I always appreciate it. Let's go to first uh, to Philip. Philip, um, the moon of Alabama, at least at this moment, the, the website, the lead article is, no way to peace without further war. I think that's sums it up really well, considering we've had all of this ridiculous hot air coming out of Washington, Brussels, and Kiev about what a negotiated end would be. They're not interested in it. In fact, they want to keep this war going on as long as possible, which will seal Ukraine's fate. Go ahead, Philip. Yeah, well, I think that's a, an accurate analysis that uh, you've just given. The uh, the fact is that uh, the uh, the people in Washington who really matter, who are the ones who are making the decisions on all this uh, sort of thing, have repeatedly said that they're washing their hands of negotiations because it's up to Kiev, which, of course, it's not. And uh, they have also indicated very clearly that the United States objective in, um, in what it's doing in, in Ukraine and in the neighboring regions is uh, intended to weaken Russia. That's the objective of all this. So it's kind of a, a fantasy um, approach to say that what this is occurring is all about the democracy promotion uh, or protecting the rights of smaller countries. This is, this is all nonsense. Okay, essentially the same question for Brian in Bangkok here, because with this determination to keep the war going on, um, I think it's Ukraine that's going to be completely, utterly destroyed in the process, which is really quite interesting, is what leader of a country would willingly get on for that kind of campaign? Because Zelensky saying, you know, um, uh, has its demands, wants public negotiations and all this, which they know the Russian side will never accept. And why would they? Ukraine never kept its, its word when it came to the Minsk agreements. <clears throat> France didn't do it. Germany didn't do it. So, I mean, what's the whole point of all this ridiculous talk of negotiations when it's not in good faith? Go ahead, Brian, in Bangkok. This was the whole purpose of getting a client regime into power in 2014 in the first place, to put a, a group, a circle of interests into power in Kiev that would irrationally lead the country down the path toward proxy war and ultimate destruction uh, at the hands of Russia, but also at the hands of their Western sponsors, who are slowly and surely feeding them into this this grinder, essentially, unfortunately. Okay, well, let's go to Dublin Shea. Uh, essentially the same question to you, because, I mean, as, as we're sitting down right now, the U.S. is having to have to restock its stockpiles, um, wanting, needing to buy ammunition from uh, South Korea. And all the while, the media is saying that Russia's on its last gasp. You know, the morale is low. There's no ammunition. It's actually everything is completely upside down. Okay. And, yeah. and, and what we're looking at, and then we, they, they talk about, you know, um, uh, being able to, 
uh, retake territory. Okay, retaking the territory the size of Delaware. Oh, my goodness. Okay, as if that's going to change anything. The calculus here that should be put into play, it's not what um, uh, Moscow is going to control. It's what Kiev is going to control. And with its infrastructure being degraded, it's not going to be very much. Go ahead in Dublin. Yeah, of course. And um, as Brian will, will, you know, sort of also back me up. I mean, this also uh, feeds into the narrative about these uh, huge weapons packages. And, you know, Brian speaks very, uh, you know, conclusively about the value and the quality of what's actually being shipped now into Ukraine. The well is running dry, it seems, uh, to all objective observers. You know, you see, you know, huge convoys of destroyed yeah, U.S., British and uh, uh, other NATO country-supplied equipment. But this is about a PR campaign, essentially. It's about, you know, making big announcements about large weapons packages. It's about, you know, feeding that narrative to an increasingly sceptical Western population who are starting to see big social problems with uh, the huge wave of Ukrainian refugees that have uh, arrived into Europe. They're also starting to see the impact of huge energy prices and costs as well. It's getting cold now. The front lines are, are beginning to freeze as well in Ukraine. And the defender's advantage, which was uh, in Ukraine's favor now militarily, as, as Russia, uh, you know, uh, retreats into more prepared positions, that advantage is with Russia now. And as they, they build this huge mobilized army, um, you know, I think the idea that Russia is beaten is a convenient uh, propaganda ploy. There's no bearing in reality. And I'm sure Brian would, would elaborate on that. Okay, well, well, Philip here, as I said in my introduction, no amount of arms is going to change the calculus on the ground. I mean, I'm, I'm one of the, probably the last person in the world that would uh, quote Joseph Burrell, but it will be settled on the battlefield. And there's really nothing outside of, of uh, direct NATO intervention, which they would lose if they did. I mean, they're using Ukraine as a proxy now. The Ukrainian army was destroyed in the summer. Now they're fighting NATO, okay, with Ukrainian soldiers and other soldiers wearing Ukrainian uniforms. But there's no reckoning that this strategy is worth whatsoever. Again, I want to stress the infrastructure of the country is being degraded in the middle of winter. How can this continue on? Philip? Well, I mean, if I were uh, uh, seriously involved in making the decisions, I would say, no, it can't go on. And uh, I would point out essentially that um, uh, I think even even the parties involved uh, clearly understand that this is ultimately only going to be settled through negotiations that recognize actual Russian interests. That's now, it. this has always been the, the stumbling block since the beginning, that the United States and its allies basically uh, d- didn't want to accept that Russia had actual national security interests that were uh, existential for the country. And uh, they walked away from this, and eventually they're going to have to walk back to it. Okay, everybody, everything that Philip just said, write it on a post-it and put it in your wallet, because that's the best summation that we have had thus far in this conflict here. Brian, you're nodding your head. Why? Go ahead. Well, well, I I agree. I agree with both of your other guests. Uh, Looking at these packages, looking at how the West is trying to sell the way this conflict is unfolding, and then just scratching a little bit under the surface, the U.K. claiming since June they've trained 7,000 Ukrainian soldiers. When you look at the details, they're taking a six-month course and condensing it in five weeks, and this is what they're introducing raw recruits to. This is essentially sending them 
uh, to death and defeat on the battlefield. And this is the same pattern that uh, goes across everything the U.S. and its allies are doing in, re- in regards to this proxy war. So uh, it's just going to be a matter of how long they can stretch out this narrative until it crashes head on into reality. Well, I think, Brian, you're right. If I go to Shea in, in Dublin, and th- because then domestic politics comes into play when there is no breakthrough in the, in the, uh, on the battlefield, but your electricity bill, your fuel bill, your food bill continues to climb and, and, and your, your, your public leaders are not reacting to that. Okay. I mean, the, 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 what the, the German foreign ministers, you know, I don't care what my, voters say, okay, that's, that, that's going to come and haunt the entire European Union and eventually the United States because the whole, the whole, the globe itself is suffering because of uh, the arrogance of these decision makers. Go ahead in Dublin. Yeah, and I think it also brings into focus how quickly uh, Russian economic power and importance to the global economy was was dispelled. It was a, a gas station with missiles. But again, as as things don't pan out in Ukraine, as we were all told they would, that Russia isn't running out of missiles, that they're deploying, you know, new and very complex systems, which are better than a lot of Western ones as well, which the Western media doesn't like to discuss. As we sort of begin to shift in, 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 in the EU and in the States with people like Biden sort of uh, slapping down Zelensky and um, the argument over the Polish missile, where Zelensky has absolutely, you know, uh, you know, he's determined to say that this is a still a Russian missile, despite the fact that even the most aggressive NATO protagonists are saying it wasn't. You know, you're starting to see the cracks appear. And, you know, America has form here. As Brian said, you know, they've set up a proxy regime. America has form in throwing those uh, regimes under the bus as the narrative changes. It fights its wars uh, along the lines of its domestic political calendar, the United States. And they've done the same in Vietnam, Iraq, Afghanistan. So you should be really looking now, I'd say, for shifts in the narrative. And even, you know, dedicated sort of hawkish uh, U.S. Uh, newspapers have been talking recently about, you know, the fact that the Ukrainian military, for example, have been uh, very considerably, uh, uh, definitely uh, committing war crimes. And that would have been unheard of at the start of this conflict. So the shift is coming. It's coming in winter. Uh, the populations which elect the governments which constitute the, uh, the European Union and the United States are starting to, you know, really grow weary of this conflict. Yeah. Uh, there's plenty of problems at home and they need to be dealt with. And, you know, people are fickle. And I think it's beginning to shift. You know, Philip, every once in a, every once in a while, um, uh, Western media, like, you know, the, the uh, official organ of uh, the state, New York Times, you know, the, they talk about uh, Biden's Zelensky problem because, and it's becoming quite evident. We had a constantly, he's constantly grubbing for money. And then this whole missile incident here. I mean, when is it going to turn into a liability for Biden or is he just not well aware enough even to know it's a liability? Go ahead, Philip. Well, you know, uh, to me, the, sort of watching this from the outside to a certain extent, uh, this seems to me to be the most coordinated and effective propaganda operation yep. being run by the U.S. government in coordination with the mainstream media. Uh, the, the public doesn't know all this stuff. The public doesn't know uh, hardly any of this. I mean, people, uh, people who are ordinary voters don't read the New York Times anyway. But wherever they turn, they're going to be saturated by the same arguments about why the United States is helping this poor little country, Ukraine, that was attacked by Russia. And uh, this argument is repeated over and over and over again. 
the United States is kind of uh, basically uh, being perceived by most of the rest of the world as the school bully. Yeah. That, uh, a country that is basically driving its own interests. Okay, uh, Philip, Philip, I have to go. Else. I have to go to a hard break, and after that hard break, we'll continue our discussion on the conflict in Ukraine. Stay with our team. Welcome back to Crosstalk, where all things are considered. I'm Peter Lavelle. To remind you, we're discussing the conflict in Ukraine. Okay, let's go back to Philip. Uh, Philip, right before we, uh, we had to go to the break and I had to jump in there. You said, you said that there's a perception that, that the United States is a bully here. I mean, it, uh, why would that be so hard after the destruction of the Nord Stream pipelines? Okay, because it's been like eight weeks and, um, nobody seems to be curious about what happened there. And of course, it's to the U.S.'s advantage. Anthony Blinken admitted as much. I think it's an extraordinary opportunity or something like that. And it, and, and it was obviously a frontal attack against Germany making any kind of, uh, move to, to make some kind of, uh, overture towards, uh, Moscow to, to finally put this thing to an end. But no, that's been taken off the table. So, I mean, there's no way back from that. I mean, I find it truly incredible, Philip, that the, the, well, it, the U.S. Western allies actually trust Washington right now after that. Well, I think the uh, the allies, if you're talking about the leadership of those countries, uh, that's a given, except that they don't really trust Washington. And the and increasingly in Europe, the people are rising up and protesting about this. One of the astonishing things is that the clampdown on uh, alternative views here in the United States is really uh, quite limited. Uh, there's no big peace movement uh, surfacing. And uh, apart from... Uh, occasional critics coming from the right, like Tucker Carlson, uh, there, there are no effective voices out there getting a, a substantial audience to tell them what the, uh, what the other story is. You know, Brian, you know, I, 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 I tend to never agree with um, the Stoltenberg, the head of NATO, but he says that if, if, um, NATO, if Ukraine loses to Russia, NATO loses, and it would be a loss for NATO, which, of course, is something I would like very much. Uh, what, how does NATO get through this, or does it? I don't think that it does. I um, agree. Just, just I agree. As your, just as your previous guest was saying, I mean, this is all about crafting these narratives. Uh, that controlling narratives is not the same as controlling events in actual reality, and I think that's what we're watching. We're witnessing uh, these narratives— that have been uh, going along so smoothly for so long, uh, finally, again, running into reality, and it's not going to survive it. So we're, we're watching all of this uh, deconstruct. As this conflict drags on, we're going to see all of these narratives being challenged and uh, deconstructed. It, it, it's happening. It's happening day by day. I, I think Zelensky was a liability from day one, but it was just their ability to present him as otherwise that convinced people that he wasn't. But I, I think he was all along. Well, you know, Shay, I, I, Brian's absolutely right. I mean, he was cast uh, because he was so um, uh, photogenic. He was affable, um, not very smart. And um, then he it went to his head. I mean, he actually believes the propaganda that is generated about him. And it gives us another example of how bad narratives create bad outcomes. Shay and Dublin. Yeah. Yeah, I think Brian's got a great point. I mean, Zelensky is a perfect mark 
for the CIA and for the, the American uh, war state uh, to target and manipulate, to present this honest, you know, uh, rags-to-riches figure. But, of course, Zelensky has no political pedigree and would be relatively naive. You know, he's a, he's a, he's a, a young man um, who has been swept along on this tide of propaganda, his own propaganda as well. And to go back to the previous uh, uh, guests' um, uh, analysis of how the, the, the state has been, of Ukraine has been sort of undermined, I mean, that's, it goes back a long way. I mean, in 1949, uh, the U.S. deployed agents into Ukraine. So this isn't the new Operation Red Sox, which was a complete failure to try to under, undermine the Ukrainian SSR at the time. So the CIA has a 70 plus year history in Ukraine of trying to manipulate and undermine and exacerbate the ethno-nationalist uh, uh, realities of, of Ukraine. So to portray this, as Brian said, as a, uh, that, you know, this is Vladimir Putin waking up on the 21st of February, sticking a pin in a map and rolling across the border uh, in some imperial uh, expansion is, is utterly delusional. And I think it is beginning to seep out into the narrative in Europe here where people like us are being listened to and less attacked for our views. And people are being forced to listen as Zelensky really shows um, and that he isn't interested in uh, independent uh, non-aligned assessment of his allegations. He digs his heels in. There's one truth. And if you don't follow that truth, you're essentially allied with a, a monstrous Russian war machine, which is utterly ludicrous. You know, Philip, the, the Russia warned months in advance of the start of the special military operation, particularly December 17th. I, I'm a broken record here because I always mention it to people, um, uh, uh, an ultimatum essentially to NATO and to Washington. It was completely ignored, as we expected here. And because Russia deems the situation prior to uh, February 24th as existential to Russia. Now, obviously, any common sense would dictate that that doesn't apply to the United States or to Europe. Ukraine isn't existential to their existence. But Washington has made it existential, and that's where the problem is. Because if it is existential, then you can't negotiate. And if you don't negotiate, you're going to have to die on the hill called Ukraine. And I worry that people like Sullivan and uh, Victoria Newland, and all these other ones, Lindsey Graham, you know, going to the Senate here, they, they, they will not, they will not um, accept defeat. Yeah, I think I think that uh, analysis is correct. I mean, essentially, they, the um, the the fundamental problem is that this war should have never occurred. It was preventable uh, going back a year ago. It was preventable even before that because if you go, if you go back and look at some of uh, uh, Putin's speeches and and uh, and and statements coming out of the foreign ministry in Moscow. It made, it, it made a lot of sense. It was very clear that Russia had certain distinct national security interests that uh, were paramount. And uh, yet everybody was closing their ears to this. They were closing their eyes to this. And, and, and instead of uh, listening to what uh, they were saying, they basically just chose the other route, which is to defame these people, yep. uh, to call them fascists, to call them uh, – uh, totalitarians to call them every name in the book so that you don't really have to address the issues they're raising. But this war should never have occurred. You know, Brian, one, one, an important issue that has to be addressed here that no one in the Western media will do is that because it is existential from the point of Moscow, the settlement, whatever it will be, 
will be a settlement under Russia's terms because they're not going to want to do this in five years or 10 years or 15 years from now, okay? It will have to be definitive for pan-European security. That means Russia has a say. Absolutely. And uh, something else the Western media never talks about is how NATO, throughout its entire existence, and especially after the, the end of the Cold War, it exists solely to encircle and contain Russia. And we hear people at the Atlantic Council, people who end up in the U.S. government in positions of power, talking about how the end goal is to eventually absorb Russia itself into this Europe whole and free project of theirs, which is really just uh, Europe whole uh, under U.S. subjugation and free for the U.S. to do what it wants with it. This is this is their vision of the future. Russia has the, the right under international law to reject this, this subordination to a foreign power on the other side of the Atlantic. You know, Shay, the, the, uh, the Biden administration likes to portray this as autocracy versus democracy, but it's the global south or the global majority, as I like to say. They're the ones that are they're, uh, exerting their self-determination, okay? And that's democratic, okay? This whole uh, campaign, uh, the Western campaign against Russia, is very uh, undemocratic and it's very authoritarian, as we've all spoken about how freely you can speak about this in, in the West. Go ahead, Shay. Yeah, I mean, this is neoliberal hegemony. I mean, yep. great scholars like Mersheimer, Cohen, uh, Chomsky have discussed this. And the fact that they've discussed it means that they know about this in the State Department. They know about it in, 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 in the White House, but they plow ahead anyway. They, I mean, you, you barely time to, you know, have a, have a lie down after the, you know, cat catastrophic withdrawal from Afghanistan. And the U.S. have decided, well, let's go to Ukraine. And as Brian has mentioned before, the, the scaffold that this war is burning on has been built, created, propagated by the CIA, by people like Victoria Newland, who back in 2014 were instrumental in the agitation that led to the Maidan, which, of course, uh, any objective uh, observer will tell you, was the overturning of a democratically elected president, an imperfect president nonetheless, but still democratically elected. So you've got the forces of democracy going in, um, you know, agitating with known uh, Nazis and people like Oleg Chanybrook. You've got people like John McCain, who never saw a war he didn't want to be part of, by the way, uh, on the stage while uh, the democratically elected president was in power. I mean, the absolutely brazen nature of the CIA-backed, uh, um, you know, operation in Ukraine was incredible. I mean, but yet we're told that they are the guys backing democracy. They overturned a democracy in Ukraine and built a, a de facto NATO army of over a quarter of a million men, training 10,000 men a year in the leading up to this uh, crisis, and they tell us that this is a peaceful army staring across Russia's border <laughs> in a territory which is populated by millions of ethnic Russians. And we're still told that, you know, uh, we're the good guys. The states are still telling us this. Well, let me talking about good guys, Philip, we're rapidly running out of time. You know, I, I'm like yourself. I am a conservative. Uh, I don't identify with the Republican Party because they're full of fools. But this is an opportunity. This is a real opportunity. This is Biden's war. It's a fiasco. It's a it's a it's a boondoggle. But the Republicans don't have any courage, Philip. Well, that's certainly one way to describe the Republican Party. Um, there are outspoken Republicans, but you can uh, count them on one hand, fingers of one hand, uh, just the same as in the uh, Democratic Party, where there are a few progressives that are courageous enough to stand up once in a while. 
The problem is that the whole system in the United States is is geared towards the political system, geared towards consensus on these kinds of issues. Uh, There's no debate that goes on. There's never been a debate, for example, in Congress about uh, the Ukraine policy. I mean, it's unbelievable. And and uh, and these these dollops, not dollops, these huge uh, uh, consignments of money. I mean, the latest one uh, was what thirty seven billion yep. that uh, that uh, the president signed off on. This was uh, just before Zelensky uh, decided he was going to uh, bring NATO in uh, because of the bombing in Poland. So, you know, we here we have this madman in, in essence uh, with a lock on on U.S. policy in his country. And also um, a a, well, a flow of money you, you, that Phil, uh, you, 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 you the national budget you used to be. You've ended our discussion on a very depressing note, but it could not be otherwise. That's all the time we have, gentlemen. Many thanks to my guests in Percival, Dublin, and in Bangkok. And thanks to our viewers for watching us here at RT. See you next time, and remember, cross rules.